listening to Nightlight. Hi, and welcome to Nightlight. You know, over the past few years, we've had an extraordinary variety of guests on our program. And this edition of Nightlight is no exception because we have with us in our studio one of God's very unique individuals, an example of an ordinary person who God has been able to use in extraordinary ways. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. And I'd like to introduce you to Sam Childers, also known as the Machine Gun Preacher. Sam is a former drug dealer and motorcycle gang member who dedicated his life to rescuing children in the former war zones of South Sudan and northern Uganda. Sam wrote a book detailing the events of his life and his experiences in Africa in his book Another Man's War, which was made into a recent movie called Machine Gun Preacher, starring Gerald Butler. Nightlight's interview of the week. And we have the actual machine gun preacher with us on Nightlight. Thanks for taking your time to be with us in the studio, Sam. Now, maybe for those of you who haven't read your book or seen the movie, you could briefly tell us your testimony of how you came to know the Lord. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you know, just, just kind of like a, a quick testimony a lot of times, if I if I take off with my testimony from when I started in the drugs, a lot of times people think, well, what kind of parents did, did this man have? I had the perfect parents. I was raised in a Christian family, uh, both parents born again, spirit-filled, never seen my dad ever drink, do drugs, anything. I was raised in an upper-class, uh, born again, spirit-filled family. But at age, at age 11, at 11 years old, I started doing drugs. And a lot of times people say, well, how? You know, I believe that young people, we get involved in drugs or alcohol because we see older kids using them, and we think it's going to make us look older or it's going to make us look cool. You know, in America, everyone wants to look cool. We want to fit in in the, in the classrooms. We want to fit in. So to fit in, we think looking cool will fit in. So I started doing drugs at 11 years old. I started smoking cigarettes, started smoking marijuana. And then at 13 years old, I'm experimenting with hard drugs, uh, alcohol. And then all of a sudden, at 15 years old, it didn't look cool anymore. It turned into addiction. Here I had a drug addiction where I'm putting a needle in my arm every day, shooting up cocaine or heroin. Then I didn't care about looking cool. I cared about supporting the habit. The next thing, I started selling drugs. And then the next thing, I, I, I started uh, not selling drugs in a, at, at a small quantity, big quantity. And then when I kind of got into security work, I became a hired gun called a shotgunner for drug deals. And I'd done that for about two, three years of my life. So I went as deep as you could ever go into the world of drugs, selling drugs, uh, using guns and everything, you know, uh, a gangbanger. I went as far off as you could ever go. Then finally after I met my wife, and like the movie showed, my wife was a stripper. And I remember the first time I, I, uh, I was in this pretty big church. She was sitting in the front row, and I introduced her as my wife and told the congregation she used to be a stripper. She about crawled underneath the pew. <laughs> but now she's proud to stand up and give her testimony. you got to remember, we can't be ashamed of what God done for us. 
So anyways, I come home one night. I was in, I was in this bar room. I got into a bar fight and I almost got killed. Turned out to be a shootout. And I come home that night and I said to my wife, I said, we're moving. And my wife said, what? And she was all happy because my wife was already looking for a way out. You got to remember when you have an addiction, when you're all messed up in this world, sometimes the only way to get out is to relocate yourself. Wow. So at that point in my life, we had to relocate myself. We were living in Orlando, Florida, and we moved back to my hometown in Pennsylvania. Two weeks after I told her we're moving, immediately my wife started serving God. Now that night on the way home, I just said, you know what? I'm done living this life. Someone's going to kill me, and I'm going to die for no reason at all. I don't have a problem with dying, but I have a problem with what I'm going to die for. So we moved over a thousand miles away. My wife started going to church immediately with my mom. It was actually two years later till I walked into a church. I like to tell this part here, especially uh, like if I'm in a church preaching or something, because I've been married almost 30 years. And a, and a lot of times we learn as men how to shut the wife up. We learn how to keep them quiet. You know, they start hounding us to do this, do this, do this. And sometimes we got to be men and we got to just shut them up. So we put our foot down and we just do what they say. <laughs> we just, okay, honey, we'll do it. But anyways, my wife, she, she kind of hounded me for like two years to go to church with her, come to church with her, come to church with her. And one day I just, I got tired of it. And I said, <laughs> okay, I'll go. And I didn't realize what was going to happen, you know, and I knew God was real, you know, so I knew he was real. But I went into that church. I sat in the far back row. The pastor gave an altar call. I knew I was to get up, but it was like I was chained to my seat. I couldn't move. And the pastor come walking down that aisle. And I remember he said to me, he said, you know, the power of God is all over you. What's wrong? And I broke. I started crying. And the very next night, it was in an old-fashioned camp meeting. I went back the second night. And uh, see, the, you know, when we get a taste of something good, it's kind of like a buffet. You go to the Sheraton buffet, you know, you always find that favorite food, you know. And you want as much of it as you can get. Well, that second night, I sat right in the front row because I knew what I wanted. I wanted more of what I tasted that first night. Wow. And that's how I started serving God, you know. And now, you know, sometimes as Christians, we think we have arrived. I don't think I'm there yet. I just, you know, I want more and more every day. Sam, how difficult was it after giving your life to Christ to make a break from your former lifestyle and leave that all behind? I believe that I was so far deep into the world and into the drug world and the drug scene. I believe that that night on the way home, when I'm driving my car and I'm saying to myself, I'm done living this life. Do you know a lot of times for people that has addictions, I know Uganda really don't have a bad drug problem right. like America. America has the world's leading drug problem there is. Uh -huh. And sometimes as Christians, we want to tell the people with a drug problem that Jesus Christ can take it from you. That's a lie. See, the, sometimes we want to treat Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle. We rub it, he pops out, he fixes the problem. He doesn't work like that. <laughs> How you get delivered is you have to make up in your mind, I'm done. 
that night on the way home, see, I didn't even start serving God, but God gave me the strength to say, I'm done. Wow. And then two years later, when I gave my life to Christ, you know, I still, there, there's still things I struggle with. There's still problems that I have, but he's always there for me. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. When I make a mistake, he still loves me. He still holds me. You know, so I always tell people, you got to remember, he's not a genie in a bottle, but he's always there for you. Bringing you peace in the midst of the storm. You're listening to Nightlight. And on Nightlight, we're meeting Sam Childers, also known as the Machine Gun Preacher. In the first part of the program, we've been hearing the testimony of how he got saved out of a life of drugs and violent crime and became truly a new creature in Christ Jesus. Sam, you were telling me earlier that after you got saved, you thought you needed to put on a suit and tie and hide your tattoos. And you tried to become someone different than yeah, who for, you are. Uh, after after I gave my life to Christ, it was only like three years later, and I started preaching. And uh, right away, you know, now I was trained under the Pentecostal holiness. So that was a lot of the reason why that I put on the suit and the long sleeves, you know, you couldn't show no tattoos or nothing like that. And uh, I love the I love the people that I was under. And I I believe they trained me very well. Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first messages I spoke, the pastor comes up to me and he says, Sam, you got your message already. And I was all excited. I opened up my Bible and my notes was there. And I said, yeah, man, I'm all ready to preach. And he grabbed my notes and he pulled them from me and he says, now, trust God. You know, so I thank God for that Pentecostal training. But finally, one day, God said to me, you know, this was after I was preaching for a few years. He said, what are you doing? Because every time I'd go preach, if I didn't have a suit on, I had a long sleeve shirt on and had a tie on. And, and I wasn't Sam Childers anymore. Right. You know, I was everything but. Now, there's nothing wrong with suit and tie. There's nothing wrong with it. But for Sam Childers, there was. And God said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm preaching. And he said, to who? To who? Who are you preaching to? And I started just thinking, well, I'm preaching to Christians. <laughs> and, and then he said to me, is that what you're supposed to be doing? Wow. He said, you're to be a kingdom builder. So that's when I started how I, how I dress every day during the week. That's how I preach. You know, if you look at Sam Childers, you see him on the Internet or something, that's what you get. And, you know, I, I don't try to put a show on for anyone. I go in, I share my heart, I share who I am. And you got to remember, the biggest advertisement of who we are is when you look at someone. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think I look pretty rough. You know, I, a lot of people, you know, they'll look at me with tattoos and they'll say, what does the Bible say about tattoos? And I always say, what does the Bible say? <laughs> you know, what does the Bible say about tattoos? It talks about it inside of Leviticus. And what does it say? Not to cut or mark your body for the dead. Now, to start with, I, I'm not saying tattoos are good, but I'm saying that each one of us got to work out our own salvation, and that's scriptural. But you got to remember, if you're talking to someone that's living in the world and they're all full of tattoos, they're all full of hate, they're all full of drugs, it's hard to talk to them in a suit. Right. But when you walk up and you look like them, and all of a sudden they see this man is just like me, 
but his heart ain't the same. That's how you can win people to the Lord. So did your ministry change at that point? It, it changed. It, it, it took a few years. God had to train me. God had to retrain me. You know, uh, I think the biggest thing that people want to hear, now anytime I preach, I always use Scripture. But, you know, I take the Scripture and I break it down into everyday struggles. I break it down into things that we deal with every day. You know, you got to remember, and, and don't, don't take me wrong for how I'm saying this, Scripture is for the dedicated Christians. You know, you can't walk up to a total non-believer, a total atheist, and start quoting Scripture. <laughs> They're going to chase you away. I always tell people, if you're going to do street ministry— you got to learn how to do street ministry, and you can't always do it by just quoting scripture. Right. You know, you got to be able to give good advice. But the biggest thing is, I believe that I carry a message of hope. And if you hear about me going in, like on tours and everything, you never hear about me being advertised like another preacher coming to town. Right. It's usually the machine gun preacher is coming with a message of hope of how God has changed his life. Wow. You know, and, and, and the only thing that I do f- for people is I tell them what God has done for me. You know, I was the worst of them all. I was the scum of the earth, you know. And Paul even said, every time I try to, every time I try to do good, I end up doing bad. Right. You know, Paul said he was the scum. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm the scum of the earth. But with Jesus Christ is who I am today. Right. You know, he, the things that he's done in my life is why I'm able to help people. The things that he's done in my life is why I can dedicate my life to preaching the gospel around the world. You know. Well, Sam, you were telling me earlier that you're still the official chaplain of a motorcycle gang. Yeah, I'm actually chaplain for two different one-percenter groups, and uh, I am a one-percenter. What is a one-percenter? Uh, a one-percenter is a person that is affiliated or a supporter of a motorcycle group, but the biggest thing is that's their lifestyle. Like a lot of a lot of motorcycle guys or a lot of bikers, they're like the weekend warrior. They might put the boots on for the weekend while they're riding their bike. But a true one percenter, that's their lifestyle. If you see them somewhere, they're usually riding a motorcycle. I mean, that's what they do. You know, they they don't dress like a biker for the weekend. They are a biker. Right. So I am a real one percenter and. Uh, you know, I have a message that I, I, I preach to the churches a lot. You know, sometimes the church, we will look down at the biker groups uh-huh. or we look down at the one percenters. What you got to remember is the true motorcycle group, the true one percenters, they have something that the church can learn from them, and it's loyalty. Wow. You know, in our churches today, we have lost true loyalties. You know, in in the biker world, you don't have one biker busting rank on another biker. You have total respect for their elders, for their leaders. Right. And we have lost that in the church world. So I always tell the church, you watch the true one percenters. We can learn from them. Wow. And if we can learn something from them and we can we can start acting right in our churches, they're going to learn something from us too. 
You were telling me, Sam, that your affiliation with these biker groups have helped you to lead many of them to the Lord. Yeah, we're talking hundreds and hundreds. You know, as I said, I, I, I can't mention the, the different groups. It's kind of like something that we agree when, when you're affiliated with a motorcycle group. We don't mention the different names, but if you look at the top 10 motorcycle, if you Google top 10 motorcycle groups in the U.S., the one of them that's, I think, like number six of the baddest, meanest motorcycle group, the founder of it is actually a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. Wow. And then there's another one. I think they're like the seventh, in the, the seventh largest in the world motorcycle group. The third ranking man is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. And the thing about it is when these guys get on fire for God, they're on fire for God. Wow. You know, so there's 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 getting to be more of these top 10 baddest motorcycle groups are starting to get born again Christians inside of them. This one man come to me and he said to me, uh, he said, Sam, he says, uh, he says, I'm not sure what to do. Should I put my colors down? And I said, can you wear them and still live for Jesus? And he said, yeah, I can, but it's going to be hard. And I said, then you need to keep wearing them. Because you can minister to people that I can't, you know. So, uh, you know, it's all about kingdom building. Inspiring you to draw closer to God. You're listening to Nightlight. Sam, I have a question here from one of our listeners in the United States who wants to know generally what you think of the state of the church in the U.S. You know, I believe that we have lost it in the U.S., I believe that we have lost truly what Jesus was all about, you know. And as Paul said in the Word, you know, maybe it's time that we go back to the basics. Right. You know, a lot of our big churches, we're all about a big hall now. Mm -hmm. We're all about a big dinner hall, and we want to name it after our wife, or we want to name it after our son, or we want to name it after some leader of the church. (laughs) And, you know, is that really what Jesus was all about? You know— uh, one pastor that I know in the U.S. told me a story about some people at his church. He might have been a thousand, a little over a thousand people or so, and so it wasn't a small church. It was kind of medium, and uh, some some of his congregation come to him and they said, "We want to do street ministry." Uh-huh. And he said, "Well, let me pray about it." So he went off, he prayed about it, and he come back to him. He says, uh, he says, okay, you just want to do street ministry. I want you to report all of you that want to do it, and there were several of them that want to do it. I want you to report into the church office on Friday morning. I want you to wear your oldest pair of shoes, your oldest tore-up, raggiest clothes. I want you to report into the office. Look bad, not shaved. I want you to come in that morning looking rough. So they all get there, and he had us all gathered into a room, and he told them all, he said, I want you to put your cell phones on the table, your wallets on the table. You can't take no money, no nothing with you. We're going to put you out two by two in different parts of the city, and you have to work your way back here by not calling no friends, relatives, or anything, back to the church on Sunday night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so there was two of them that were way on the other end of town, and they said uh, on the all day Friday went, and then they went into Friday evening. They had nothing to eat. And then Saturday came. By that time, they're going hungry. 
and you know they were talked awful about they were treated awful but the one guy said i know where we'll go we'll go to so-and-so's church saturday night they got a service man we'll go there we'll hear the word of god we'll get to eat we'll get something good to eat and everything well here they get to the church and by that time they're looking pretty rugged right their old ripped up clothes are now dirty they're even starting to smell a little bit (laughs) so they get to the church and they walk in thinking this is it this is you know their blessing and uh, church security met them at the door and church you know they told them they they said well what are you doing here they said well we come to hear the word of god and we thought we might be able to get something to eat and and church security told them this is not the place for you (laughs) you know so you know Is that one church in the U.S.? No, I think that's many churches in the U.S. We build our churches so fancy, we don't want the scum of the earth coming into it. Gosh. You know, and as I said a little bit of my testimony, I was the scum of the earth. And without Jesus Christ, I'm still that scum of the earth. So you see, without Jesus, none of us are good to be in any church. Right. You know, we build our churches so fancy that we don't want certain people in them. How can we say it's about Jesus? So I think we need to go back to the basics. You know, there's a lot of good churches, but as I said earlier, you know, wherever there's good, there's always bad. Wherever there's, there's good, there's always evil, you know. And our churches, we've lost what it's truly about. So what happened when they came back together on the Sunday night? Well, when they all come back together on on Sunday evening in the church, they all come in this room and they sat down and the the pastor said to everyone, he says, how was your weekend? And they all started crying. They all started weeping because they were just so shocked of how the people that live on the streets got to live. And then they they were so disappointed and hurt that the churches treated them the way that they did. So anyways, the the pastor said to him after he talked to him for a while, he says, now yuns are ready for street ministry. Yeah. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. Yes, you're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, and we're meeting Sam Childers. Sam, let's move on now to your mission to South Sudan and North Uganda as portrayed in the recent movie Machine Gun Preacher. How many years after you got saved did you first come to Africa? I got I got uh, saved in June of 1992. Okay. And I come to Uganda the f- late fall of 1998. Right. And uh, I come into Uganda and I went into South Sudan on a 5-week mission trip. Uh, to help another pastor that was there putting some uh, uh, steel roofing on some buildings in South Sudan that were used to to help uh, train chaplains. Right, and then the movie shows how you were so moved by the atrocities that were being committed by the so-called Lord's Resistance Army in the territory that you took up arms to defend and even rescue them from enemy territory. Now, for those who've seen the movie Machine Gun Preacher or who will yet see the movie, how close is the story depicted in the movie to what actually happened? Uh, let's, let's go back a little further how everything got started. Uh, most people might have seen me the first time on Dateline NBC. 
I, th- I think you probably heard of Dateline NBC. Dateline NBC came over in 2004 to do a story on Joseph Coney, the Lord Resistant Army. And when they got here, they ended up doing 30-minute special on what I was doing. And that's kind of got the world knowing when it came out on the inter- or when it came out on 60 Minutes and when it came out on Dateline NBC in the U.S. That's the biggest news in the entire country. Wow! The world got a glimpse of who Sam Childers, the machine gun preacher, was. Well, then everyone wanted to get a hold of me about doing a documentary, doing a movie, doing a book. So I like to tell this part because I tell people all the time, if, excuse me, if God puts success on your lap, you got to be very successful in every move you make. Right. Most of the time, the one next to you, your friend, is not the one to get your advice from. Uh-huh. Okay? So what you got to do is you got to look higher up to somebody that you know that you might not have a relationship with, but you know they're very successful. So I knew a man that was in Christian TV. So I went to this man and uh, Tim Bergen. I said, Tim, I said, what do I do? I said, I got over 300 emails here. They watched the Dateline NBC. They want to do a documentary. They want to do a book. They want to do a movie. And he gave me this advice. He said, Sam, what you should do is write a book. He said, I've always told you, your life is, is just unbelievable. You need to write a book. He said, you write a book. If the book is any good, someone's going to want to do a motion picture on the book. And he says, then if the motion picture, whether it's good or not, everyone's going to want to know the truth. Then you do the documentary. And at that same time, all that stuff is happening. You write your second book. So that's the exact method that we took. We, my first book that I wrote was called Another Man's War. It came out spring of 2009. Before the end of 2009, I sold the book rights for a motion picture to be done. So they began the work of creating the script and everything in 2010. And everything was all happening very quickly. Then the motion picture came out starring Gerard Butler. You know, I like to tell the, the world this. you got to remember, when God is in something, God will put the best in it. Wow. You know, the movie, the movie did not get the advertising that it should have got. But do you realize that the screenwriter, Jason Keller, is one of the top ten in the United States? Mm-hmm. The movie director was Mark Forrester which is one of the top 10 in the United States, from Kite Runner, Monster Ball. And then, see, that's still not good enough for God. God even brought in one of the top actors, Gerard Butler, to play the leading role. He brought in one of the top 10 actors. So we not only had a screenwriter, a director, we also had the actor. So then they, they made the movie Machine Gun Preacher. You know, the name Machine Gun Preacher... That is my name. I own the name. I've owned the name for way over a decade. And uh, so then the movie came out. But, you know, because of the... I believe that it was a spiritual thing that happened to the movie. But the movie company that was promoting it in the U.S. lost their budget money for the advertising. But do you know that one thing that I'm proud of, 
Do you know the movie Machine Gun Preacher was the number one movie of all times to be pirated? <laughs> wow. And people said to me, well, why would you be proud of that? You didn't make no money on that. <laughs> Lives are changing. They say because of the movie Machine Gun Preacher, remember this, the movie was not made for religious people. And it was made for Christian people to use as an outreach for the unsaved and people that are total atheists. Right. So right now, the movie has brought over a half a million people to know Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing, you know, and it's still going on. Our office, we can't even keep up with the emails that come into our office every day, the phone calls that come in every day and people are still getting saved. Now, the documentary should be coming out uh, 2013, around June or July, throughout the U.S. and Australia, around the world. We believe that the documentary can do 10 times more bringing people to Christ. Wow. Because what the doco shows is it shows exactly who Sam Childers was. The movie shows him to be a pretty messed up person. But you want to know the truth? It didn't even show how messed up I was. So the doco is going to show how messed up I was. And then it's going to go really deep into how many people I've hurt over the years. But then it's going to, then it's going to show the transformation. And at the end of the documentary, there was only one thing that changed me. One thing in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. Sam, at what point in your mission did you make the decision to take up arms to defend and rescue children? And how did you justify this from your understanding of the scriptures? You know, there's really, you know, let's be honest. You know, I got to be honest with the world. I'm not going to try to use the Bible to defend me for picking up a gun. I would never try to do that. Uh, you got to remember, Jesus Christ is not about violence. But at the same time, I think the day that he turned the tables over in the in the uh, sanctuary, you know, and in, in, in the temple. I don't think he was singing, bringing in the she's when he was doing it. <laughs> and then if we study the Word of God enough and know it a little bit, we'll find out that there was a whip that was woven. And if you really study it deep, you'll find out that he wove that whip for almost three days. And I, I don't know if you know much about a, a man that weaves whips, but if you look into like who's who in the Bible and stuff like that, and if you look into people that wove whips, they say they were usually people that were had a little tension, had a little bit of an attitude to them. Because when you weave a whip, you gotta pull it as strong and as hard as you can. Because if you don't, as soon as you start whipping it, it falls apart. So, you know, when Jesus was woving that whip for three days, he was planning on doing something with it. Right. There again, I'm not saying that Jesus is about violence. Uh-huh. But one thing that I do know, he's not about children getting their arms cut off. And he's not about children getting their ears cut off and their lips cut off. And if you study the Word of God a little bit further, you'll find out that, you know, before Jesus was crucified, he said to his disciples, I'm sending you out today to preach the gospel. But you're not taking an extra pair of shoes. You're not taking a money bag. You're not taking anything with you. Go, preach the gospel. But then after he was crucified on the cross and God resurrected him, 
you'll see he sent his disciples out again. And he said, now I'm sending you out. I want you to take an extra pair of shoes. I want you to take a money bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. Right. And they spoke up to Jesus and they said, Lord, Lord, we have two. And Jesus started to get a little bit angry. And he said, that's enough. That's enough. You know, there's a lot of scholars that try to explain what he was saying. And, you know, not me. These are people that are very big scholars in the word of God says that what he was trying to say that day is, you know, he didn't want to talk about what's going to happen. He didn't want to tell the disciples that one day you're going to have to defend yourself. He didn't want to talk about it. Uh But what he wanted to do was to tell them that one day you might have to pick up the sword. Because what was the sword for? We know the Bible says you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Right. You know, but, uh, but anyways, getting back to what happened to me, was uh, I was in an ambush, and everybody was running. And I could have run just like everybody else, or I could have picked up a gun and started defending people. You know, I chose to pick up a gun. And I don't believe that you would have done anything different if you've seen children dying. I believe I'd done what anybody else would have done. I'm not a hero. The only thing different that I'd done that most people might not do is I never put the gun down. And, uh, you know, I still live to serve and protect, and that's what I do. Right. You know, and I'm not out to get approval from adults. You know, Jesus said what? Let the little children come to me. I've rescued over a 1,000 children that would stand behind me and say what I do is right. When it comes to approval, I'm not trying to approve, you know, get anything approved through people, you know. And people always say, well, how can you say killing people? How can you justify that? In 16 years, I've never talked one time ever about killing anyone. You know why? The Word of God says we are not to boast about anything unless it glorifies Jesus Christ. Violence does not glorify Jesus Christ. You'll read other stories where so-called journalists and stuff wrote their own stories, but no one has ever heard me talk about killing people. Somebody said one time to me, they said, well, how many people have you killed? You know what I said? I was a drug dealer. I don't know how many people I killed. I sold drugs to people and they OD'd. I was not a good person. I can tell you I was the scum of the earth, but I can tell you today I try to live for Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes, do you know who focuses on the past? Who focuses on the past? Christians, religious people. (laughs) Jesus don't focus on the past. He focuses what he can do for you today and what he's going to do for you tomorrow. That's what he focuses on. You know, a lot of people will say that I'm some radical Christian. I'm not a radical Christian. I'm a freedom fighter. I believe in freedom. I fight for the freedom that every man and every woman can choose who they want to serve. Now, I asked all the Christians to hear every last word I'm saying on this. I fight for the freedom that every man and every woman, if they want to serve Allah, they can serve Allah they want to serve Buddha, they can serve Buddha. But me and my family, we choose to serve Jesus Christ. 
See, Jesus Christ is all about freedom. He's not going to force on you how many times a day you got to pray. He's not going to force on you how much you got to pray. Jesus is about freedom. If you don't want to believe at all, I fight for that freedom. See, when you find out that a man is all about freedom, but he serves Jesus Christ, it gets you thinking who you're serving. So I tell people all the time, I'm a freedom fighter. We have a guest tonight on Nightlight. And our guest on Nightlight is Sam Childers, also known as the Machine Gun Preacher. And we'll have more of his testimony coming right up. Right now, I just want to take this time to tell you about our website at radioact.org, where you'll find this show, if you'd like to download your own copy of this show, plus a wide variety of all kinds of other programs with all kinds of guests speaking about an amazing variety of topics. So please do go and check out our website at radioact.org. Visit our website at radioact.org. Sam, let's get back to the movie Machine Gun Preacher. You were going to tell us what was true and what was not true in the movie. You know, there's there's one that I like to tell everyone, you know, because uh, in the movie, and, and there again, if you've got a few questions that people call in on or something, I'd like to answer them. But in the movie, it showed me having a bad day, going back to a bar room, getting in a fight. Now, the fight was true. I get into a fight now, and then I, every preacher got to know how to fight. You have a board meeting every month. And board meetings, fights can break out in board meetings. Come on now. No, but, but anyways, uh, uh, I have never drank even a drop of alcohol in 24 years. I haven't done drugs in 24 years. So that part of the movie where it showed me having a bad day, going to the bar room, having a few beers and, and fighting, that was not true. When God delivered me from that, I've never went back to that pig pen one time. Anything else that wasn't true? What you got to remember, the entire movie is based on the truth. But then Hollywood will put a twist to it. Like anyone that knows the Lord Resistant Army, the LRA, they don't travel in automobiles. You know, they're guerrilla fighters. You know, so the automobiles was Hollywood's twist. Uh, I never shot a rocket-pelled grenade. <laughs> you know, but as far as, you know, everything is based on the truth. But, you know, something they left out of the movie. And I've had some comments from people that it was so drastic where it showed the little girl that had her lips cut off and everything. But, you know, they only showed that for a split second. They really didn't show what has happened to the children of northern Uganda in South Sudan. Absolutely horrible, horrible atrocities. Sam, to get the nickname Machine Gun Preacher, how much action did you see? Uh, was it just a one-time thing? No, it was it, for many, many years. Now, naturally, you know, <clears throat> everyone knows uh, the big thing that hit about a year ago or so was Invisible Children put out a documentary uh, concerning the Lord Resistant Army it made Uganda look like a very unsafe country. You know, I want to tell the world today, and CNN flew me in the day after uh, the Invisible Children's documentary came out, and I'm not here to knock on the Invisible Children. You know, those, those boys worked very hard on their documentary. But you got to remember, the truth is, Joseph Kony never was a threat to Uganda. 
Uh-huh. He was a pest right. to Uganda. Right. Okay? And you got to remember that in northern Uganda, there hasn't been any problems for nearly six years, maybe even longer than six years. Mm-hmm. So the documentary that came out was Things of the Past. Mm-hmm. You know, the world needs to know that Uganda is a safe country. Absolutely. Uganda is a country to go on a vacation, mm-hmm. to come and tour. You know, uh, Merchant Falls Beautiful. is not a place where rebels hang out. Merchant right. Falls is a place where you can take your family to and enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, but one time there was war in Uganda, just like one time there was war in America. You know, so I... I uh, I, I think I think what happened with the invisible children thing is they didn't let the people know that it was of the past. Right. You know, like my orphanage, there hasn't been anyone killed by the Lord Resistant Army in nearly three years around the orphanage. You know, so it's all things of the past. Uganda's a safe country. Uh, the Lord Resistant Army is not out there killing people like they were. They're still a nuisance in the Congo. They're a nuisance there. Sam, during your time of building and defending the orphanage, you must have seen many miracles of the Lord's intervention and protection. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the ones that I can tell you that most people that have seen the movie, okay, Machine Gun Preacher, if you haven't seen it, try to buy it somewhere, you know. And uh, uh, but it shows the Lord resistant army burning the orphanage down. The truth is they could never penetrate through a bamboo fence. Wow. That's the truth. They never burnt the orphanage down. And, you know, there again, that was Hollywood's twist to the thing. They attacked the orphanage three different times, but they could never penetrate through a bamboo fence. So that's the power of God. They would come at us with 200 Lord-resistant army, and we would have 20 soldiers inside, but they could never Wow, penetrate. 20 against 200. You just have to give credit to the Lord. Absolutely. I give credit to the Lord. You know, everything in my life, you know, you know, like a lot of times, you know, people try to make me out and the movie try to make me out to be some kind of a Rambo. The truth is, and everyone hear this, there's only one Rambo in my life, and it's Jesus Christ. Wow. It's not Sam Childers. <laughs> in the movie, Sam, it showed that at one point you got totally discouraged and started to do things angrily in your own strength. Yeah, totally not true. You know, that was Hollywood's version. You know, there was, there was a few things, like the one part of the movie where it showed me uh, going to commit suicide totally was not true. Really? And a matter of fact, I remember they had in the script, they had me pointing the gun at my head cocking it and the young boy coming into the room. Well, I went to a preacher friend of mine, Steve Muncy, Pastor Steve Muncy out of Chicago. He has a mega church here. Mm-hmm. Pastor Steve has helped to mentor me over the years. And I went, I was furious over a few things. And, and he said to me, he gave me these words. He said, you got to remember something, Sam. You can boycott the movie if you don't like something like that. But suicide is on a rampage in the world today. Everywhere around the world, suicide is on a rampage. And he says, maybe you need to think about letting that in there for that person that is thinking suicide, that they realize that there's nothing in this life, nothing in this life worthwhile to take your life over. So we made them where I didn't have the gun to my head, but we left that suicide in there because I have never wanted to commit suicide. 
But I realize that a lot of people are fooled from the enemy thinking that it's a way out. And it's not a way out. You know, so that was also another thing. But, you know, you know, God really had to mentor me also, along with all of these pastors that helped to mentor me. God had to really mentor me, too, to realize that this movie was not, was not a, for me. It was for the non-believer. Wow. It was for the person that didn't think God existed. Yes. It was for the person that was total atheist to right. watch this movie and think when they're done, what would this man dedicate his life for? So much that he put everything on the line, that he risked everything. Maybe there is a God. And that's what's happening to people around the world that's watching this movie. They're coming out of there and they're saying, wow, maybe there is a God. And it gets them started. It's like the seed is planted. You're right. It's nightlight. And you're with Nightlights, and we're meeting Sam Childers, also known as the Machine Gun Preacher. Sam, when the movie Machine Gun Preacher came out, it must have been a big change in your life to suddenly be a celebrity, and also presumably to make a substantial amount of money. Well, to start with, I haven't been paid from the movie yet. They don't <laughs> like me to say that, and we won't get into that issue. I have the, the movie company has not paid me yet. We have a few issues there going on. Okay. But, you know, what the movie has done for me, and, you know, you got to remember, if it would have happened to me at a snap of a finger, I probably would have lost my mind from it. But it all started in 2005. July of 2005 is when the Dateline NBC thing came out. So it all started gradually. And then the, the book came out in 2009. But, you know, the thing that really got the world to know who I was was uh, Jesse James, West Coast Chopper. Uh, Jesse James built me a motorcycle in 2007. And I was on a tour for one year with Jesse James's bike, with Jesse James supporting me. And his wife at the time, Sandra Bullitt, uh-huh. was also supporting me for one full year. I was on a tour around the United States, 2000, June of 2008 to June of 2009. If anything ever done anything for me, it was that tour with Jesse James. Wow. That really helped to get the world to know who I was. And then when the book came out, spring of 2009, it helped. Then when the movie came out. But what it has done for me right now is it's put me on a platform where almost everyone knows who I am. You know, I can't even walk through Kampala and people not getting pictures or autographs, you know. <laughs> right. And that happens everywhere around the world. If I'm traveling, I was just in China traveling, Australia traveling. And I'll be in airports and people walk up to me all the time. You know, they recognize me. So it's giving me a platform to speak to the world, to give my testimony. Uh, and uh, it's, it's also opened up doors to just about any church. Any church that is into kingdom building will have me come in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and why I say that is you have a lot of churches that might, you know, that might not be into kingdom building. And if that's their thing, it's fine. But most churches that are into kingdom building will want me to come in. So it took me from speaking in small churches. And don't get me wrong, I still speak in a church of 50, just as fast as 5,000. You know, my, my people that book me in my office, 
I still get booked in little churches, but my average church that I speak in today is from 1,000 to 8,000 people. There's a few churches that are probably totally against, against me, but the majority of your churches are totally for me. You know, in the U.S., your average church of 300 to 500 has security. You know, I don't know if you've been to the U.S. or not, but in the U.S., you'll very seldom find a church over 500 that don't have armed security in the church, you know, because there's so many violent things that happen in the churches today. You got to look what went before the ark security, you know, so there's always been security from the beginning of time, you know, God has always had security. And so uh, I believe in these last days, you know, God don't want us to be violent, but he doesn't want us to be a doormat either. So you believe that we're living in the last days before the second coming of Jesus? Absolutely. I believe, yeah, I believe that we are living in the last days. You know, and, you know, when you start talking last days or revelations, you can really get a big argument started. You know, everybody got their own theory. But you know what I tell everybody? Because I've been in Bible studies that almost turn into an argument. Everybody believing we're going to be here for the rapture. We ain't going to be here for the rapture. So what? All I got to say to you is be ready. (laughs) Bottom line, does it really matter? No, be ready. Whatever happens, be ready. You know, and and I I think sometimes we're, 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 it seems like we want to keep digging and digging and digging so we know exactly what's going to happen. I don't want to know what's going to happen. I just want to be ready for whatever happens. Like a candle in the night, it's nightlight. Sam, in meeting you for the first time, I've been impressed by your entrepreneurship and how you've started a number of successful enterprises, such as a motorcycle shop in the United States, a film studio here to promote Ugandan talent abroad. Then there's your machine gun preacher's security company, a restaurant, and all of this is generating income to support your orphanages. We, we, have, we have four working orphanages. Uh, three of them are smaller ones, or I should say the one in Ethiopia is really it doubled in size already, so it's bigger. But we have two small we have two small ones in Uganda. We have two homes, large homes where I keep children, sixteen to eighteen children in each home in Uganda, and then in South Sudan and Nimli we have the larger orphanage, which right now is about 170, 175 children there, and then in Nazareth, Ethiopia we have a, another orphanage. You know, a lot of people don't realize what I'm really big into. They hear the name machine gun preacher. They think I'm just some preacher with a gun, you know. And, it, you know, I'm very big into education. In the last year and a half, I've built three schools from the footer up, uh, two in South Sudan, uh, one in Ethiopia. Right now we are finishing a Votech school that will teach auto mechanics, woodworking, and seamstress. Uh, we do a feeding program right here inside of Kampala, Bozika, we feed about 800 to 900 kids every day. Wow. Uh, we've, we've got a feeding program in Ethiopia. Uh, all in, in all what we feed right now in all of our feeding programs and all of our orphanages and all of our workers, we feed 3,500 to 4,000 meals a day right now. Wow, awesome. We have started the largest project that I've ever took on in Ethiopia right now. It's a million-dollar building. It's a four-story building. 
you know, around the world, most orphanages, you got to leave at the age of 15, 16 years old. That's the age where you need to be learning a trade. So the orphanage that we're building in Ethiopia right now, the, and we're planning this same orphanage to be built here in Kampala as well, is the first floor is, uh, is a, uh, a bakery and a restaurant and a hair salon. The second floor is a hotel. The third floor is a dormitory. The fourth floor is all rental space that will be rented out to small businesses. So the children that are old enough to go to university, this orphanage is being built for them. Wow. That they can come there, go to university, also make a little bit of extra money on their times off. But the big thing is they're going to learn a skill. And what the fourth floor is for, there's actually six rental units on the fourth floor for businesses. That's where the children that want to go in their own business, we will actually put them in business there into this building. So we believe that, you know, children that are getting out of their, out of their middle school, it's called in the U.S. middle school, we believe this is the time that we need to really educate them. So that's what this project's being built for. You're listening to Nightlight, brought to you by Radioactive Productions. Nightlight. Sam, we don't have a lot of time left on the program. Anything else you'd like to share? I think the big thing is uh, uh, anybody that, that comes into Uganda, okay, to visit Uganda, you got to remember, I'm going to tell you right now, people around the world, Uganda is the country to visit. Uganda is the country to come in for tourism. I mean, if you want to go to Game Park, Merchant Falls is so beautiful. It's unbelievable, you know. So bring your family. Come to come into Kampala. Visit it. Some of the most beautiful hotels. There's so much beauty here in this country. People around the world need to see it. But if you do come to Kampala, remember I have a restaurant in Kampala. <laughs> so, you know, it's called Ursam Cafe. I'm across the street from the Ethiopian village. The big thing is, stop in. Maybe you'll catch me around. You know, hundreds of people come from around the world uh, every year just to see if I'm around. I've had the restaurant going on three years. And you'll be surprised. Many of them catch me there, you know. So so stop in and visit me. And uh, you got to remember, you know, there's people around the world that's doing good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, they say, well, Sam, are you are you out there just to promote yourself? No, I'm not. I'm out there to tell you to find someone that's taking care of orphans and widows. You know, most of the women that work for me taking care of my children are widows. And find someone that's taking care of orphans and widows. Research them. You know, you'll find, you'll hear good things about me and you'll hear bad things about me. You got to remember, research them, find somebody that is doing good and get behind them and support them. You know, no matter who you are or where you live in this world, you can do good today by finding someone and supporting them. If you want to support me, fine, but there's a lot of other good organizations out there as well to support. Sam, if there's anyone listening to our show who doesn't know the Lord and is lost like you were, any words for them? You know, the biggest thing is, listen, man, I was as far off and as messed up as you could ever go. Okay, and, you know, if you're not successful, if you're successful, but you're not happy, if you're not successful, your business is not working out for you, 
maybe you're just putting all your efforts into the wrong thing. And I'm here today to tell you, try Jesus Christ. You know, and it's very simple. You know, Christians, we complicate this thing. The book of Romans tells us that salvation is for everyone, not just for a few people. It's for everyone. And it says that it's at the tip of our tongue. You know, sometimes as Christians, we complicate this thing. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. But the Word of God says, if you believe, you shall be saved. You know, so the biggest thing is, listen, if you want to give Jesus Christ a try, let's just do it right now. Let's take the last few moments, you know, before we stop this thing. And let's just say, look, if you want to know Jesus Christ and you want to start a complete new life, that will have success, you can do it right now. And I'm going to ask you out there, I don't care where you're at, if you're driving down the road, wherever you're hearing this at, it's very simple. All you got to do is repeat after me, and it's a prayer of salvation. Just repeat after me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I stand here today, I sit here today, I'm driving my car here today. Whatever you're doing, you, you quote it, and you say, I sit here today as a sinner. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me of all the times I didn't believe. I ask you to forgive me of all the times I've cursed you, all the times I've walked away. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you have said that prayer today, you have started a new journey with Jesus Christ. But the biggest thing is, it don't end there. It will only end there if you leave it there. Take that journey and allow it to be the journey for the rest of your life into your internal life with Jesus Christ. God bless you all. Find a church. Find your good Christian friends to hang out with. you got to remember, Jesus Christ loves you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And thanks so much to Sam Childers for being with us on this special edition of Nightlight. Sam says he'll be happy to answer any questions you may have that have been generated by this program, and so I'll be inviting him back soon to do another show with us. Don't forget you can download a copy of this program at our website at radioact.org, radioact.org, where you can also leave any questions you may have for Sam. Also, please do visit Sam's website at machinegunpreacher.org. This is Simon saying bye for now, and I look forward to being back with you again very soon for another edition of Nightlight. Bye-bye.